Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's great to see uh, so many friends and family together here uh, together and, and to worship uh, the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We made it through to Christmas time. And uh, welcome to, to visitors. It's lovely to have you here with us and to friends that we haven't uh, met yet. Uh, we're glad to have you. It's been quite the year. And to my point, it came in, in August. And since that time, I've been worshiping uh, with the church, the church of the Cross. And we've seen the Lord moving. We've seen births. We've had baptisms. We've had weddings. We've uh, 12 uh, neighborhood groups meeting weekly around the city. And we've done life together. We've prayed. We've seen the Lord move through prayer. And there's so much to celebrate and, and to give thanks for. And yet, just in this last season of Advent, as we've been looking and you know, we've been reflecting, this, you can't help but feel that there's still this shadow that hangs over the world, isn't there, in this last four weeks as we've been reflecting on. And even we look around, there's, there's up to 13 million refugees that are, that are homeless and displaced. And you know, closer to home, in our own country, we, we see there's still issues with, with racial tension and economic inequality, injustice. There have been recent acts of terror and, and violence and it seems to be there's an increase in, in a spirit of fear amongst people. And, and, and tensions are there and we look around and there's just still a sense of, of, of chaos. And we look at that and we look even ahead to 2016 and we've got the upcoming uh, presidential elections. We take a look and we think, well, maybe our person will win, maybe they won't. Can we trust? How will I feel about that? We see politics of fear and division still there, and we say, well, well, Lord, in this chaos, why would we come to a story about a baby born 2,000 years ago? And I'd say we, we come together this morning, and amongst the uncertainty that there is in this sense of chaos, and we, and we, and we look, and there's this story, and it's it's something we've heard almost so many times. We've probably read it. We've heard it so many times, hundreds of times. It's so familiar. In fact, I reckon I could run upstairs right now. I could give the, um, the kids 10 minutes to prepare to come back down. I think they could perform a nativity play for us. That's how familiar it's come. And yet I wonder then in the circumstances where we turn to this story does it still have that capacity to surprise us and to fill us with comfort and more importantly, to fill our hearts with joy that we would glorify God and run out of here just declaring His goodness and praising His name. Just this story, simple story of a baby born. Fill us with comfort and joy this morning and amidst the chaos. I'm going to suggest it does and we're going to take a look this morning in, in Luke's account that we had read just before, we're going to see Luke kind of centers his telling of, of the birth of Christ based around two announcements. We're going to see this announcement of a census declared by Caesar, and then this announcement by the angels of the birth of Jesus. I want to take a look at each of those and see, well, how does each of these announcements bring us comfort and joy? So starting off with the first one, it's a funny thing that Luke does. I don't know if you've noticed. He spends more time talking about the census than the actual birth of Jesus. 
Who knows that four times in the first few verses he, he mentions this registration that's going to happen four times and there's like five verses and then there's this little thing and then and Jesus was born. And so what's he doing there? What is it with this importance of the census going on? And I think what he's doing, he's drawing us, our attention to this situation of, of, of global leadership. The situation here is a person who has power over the whole world at the time. We're just a simple decree from Caesar. He can say, I declare a census. And it goes out to all of the world. And based on that decree from one man in power, the whole world has to move. Displacement, just like that. The words of one man you see in verse, verse 1. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus, all the world should be registered. Verse 3 and all the world went to be registered. So he starts off, here is this leader with power. And he starts off, this is all the world. And what are we going to see? What's going to happen is he's going to bring in, think of like cinematography. He's going to start off with this scene. And Luke starts off showing the whole world. And he's going to narrow it down and bring in his camera lens. He's going to narrow it down, bring it in and in and in from the whole world until the birth of a baby in a manger. We're going to see this in verse 1 through 5. He starts out with the whole world with Caesar Augustus. From there, he brings in this locality. We see Quirinius in Syria. And he brings it down again, zooms in just a little closer to all the towns. And then from all the towns, he starts narrowing it in. The hearers get the area they're listening. It comes in to one town in particular, the town of Bethlehem. And from this one town of Bethlehem to one couple, Mary and Joseph, we're told Joseph is from the house of David. And then from this couple down to this baby born to them in a manger. And as Luke tells this story and he's bringing our focus in from all the world down to this baby, the people who know their scriptures are looking and are longing for this promised Messiah. Oh, they're starting to be filled with joy. They're starting to look and they're noticing because, hang on, they know the prophet Micah wrote that from Bethlehem a leader would be raised. And all of a sudden, amidst this chaos, and from this ungodly leader who represents pagan rulership of their land, while this leader is displacing people and moving them, actually, we see the sovereignty of God at work. Yes, Caesar's on the throne. Yes, he's moving people about. But the Lord is sovereign, even in amidst the chaos. And he's bringing this family together. The prophecies are coming in. The man from the house of David, giving, having a son in the town of Bethlehem where the promised Messiah is going. And we come to the story today, and amongst our chaos in some ways with uncertain leadership around the world and we can be reminded again that despite the leadership that's around us that God is still sovereign and working things for the good of those who love him and already in the first seven verses Luke has brought our attention and saying that God is sovereign he has promised and there is fulfillment here is that a comfort to you this morning is that something to bring you joy this morning. Perhaps the chaos in 
in your life this morning and this week and this month hasn't actually been about geopolitical crises. It could have been a, a health diagnosis. It could be a, a, an issue at work. It could be a manager is just not a godly leader. It impacts and you're wondering and saying, God, where are you in this? And you then we look and we see God is sovereign even when we see ungodly leadership there. It brings us comfort and joy. Luke then moves on, and we see a second announcement being made. But this isn't from Caesar. This is from God's man, the guy that's at the throne. And he comes down, the angel, to a group of shepherds. And there's an announcement and the shepherds, obviously, they see that the glory of the Lord shines around. I mean, you want to picture, Luke, you can great with the words, it's this darkness of night, darkness of light, and then all of a sudden the glory of the Lord shines in, light entering darkness, the glory of the Lord all around, and the shepherds are freaking out. And the first response, they're told, this isn't what you expected. You turned up to work and you weren't expecting this to happen. You're afraid, you're scared. And the angel looks and says, fear not, fear not. Why not? He's going to give a couple of reasons. He says, fear not, for I bring you good news. We think about that good news of, of great joy. The word good news there, it's a word that was, um, it was declaring victory. Back in those days, we were in a battle, and when um, nations were fighting against each other, when, when victory was won over the enemy, a messenger would run to the top of the mountain, and standing on the mountain, he would declare from the mountaintop, good news, the enemy's been defeated, victory is won, peace is on its way. There's a declaration here of good news. Fear not, this good news is victory has come. And it's the same word Isaiah used five times, in chapters 40 through 66. And the people hearing this news would have recalled the promises of God. He would send a Savior, a Savior who would reign on the throne of David, but the kingdom wouldn't last. It would bring peace and justice. The kingdom wouldn't end. He's saying, fear not, I bring you good news. It's interesting there as well, Luke now takes us back out in scope. He's, he's narrowed us in on the birth of this baby, and there's the shepherds here. And he says it'll be good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He's taking it back out, and all of a sudden this news of this baby, it might be located there, but this is going to be news that is good news for all of the world. And he takes us right back out again to show the cosmic scope of this event with the baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. And he also tells them the shepherds, the poor, the unclean, the marginalized, it's good news for you. He says to us this morning who are also not righteous in our own merit, can't stand before the Lord in our own merit, all too aware of our own shortcomings. And he says, this is good news for you as well. This is a declaration, an announcement of victory that the Lord is bringing. 
and it's for you. He carries on, and the angel says, there'll be news for you and all the people. Why? In verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three titles there. Three titles referring to the Old Testament prophecies. The people are expecting a Savior, the Messiah, and the true King, the Lord. It's the fulfillment of uh, 2 Samuel 7, the promise to David. It's all through Isaiah. We looked at Isaiah 9. We read that this morning. But this wonderful counselor who had come, whose kingdom will have no end. And here is this king who is arriving and who is coming to them that day. He's the true savior. And there's a double play on words here because when he's calling this out and he's saying, look, this is who this baby born is. And he's drawing on all the Jewish tradition from the Old Testament prophecy. He's also speaking to the Greco-Roman culture as well. And again, drawing back to this false god that's on the throne, this, this Caesar who is running in an ungodly way. Well, Caesar had taken the, the claim upon himself as the son of God. He had promised peace, the great Roman peace of the Pax Romana, that he would come and create peace for the people. He called himself Lord and Savior. There's an inscription that's been found um, recording August, um, Caesar Augustus' birth. It says, The birth of our God has signaled the beginning of good news for the world. Here's an imposter on the throne. He's bringing good news. He has to be given the titles. And yet the angel is saying in the present tense here, Jesus is born with the titles. He doesn't need to be ascribed them. He has them. He is born with them. True peace will come through his reign. And it's not going to come through violence toward others. Peace will come with violence upon himself. And so this is good news here, that the true Savior has come. God has done what he has promised. And now... There's a new age coming, a new age dawning where the promises will be fulfilled. And the shepherds listening, and to us today that hear that, get a sense of comfort that, yeah, there might be ungodly leadership around. We may see chaos, but God's king, his true king, his everlasting king, has come and is on the throne. And that produces great joy in us. But there's something else interesting as well. What, what sort of king is this Jesus and what hints do we get just from this simple story that we're so familiar with? What does make some observations about things that are incredibly surprising and yet if we have an eye to see them, we'll bring comfort and joy. We all know what bad leadership looks like. We feel the brokenness of that in our own lives. We experience it. We look around and we can point our finger and we can say something's not right. Things aren't the way they seem to be supposed to be. And yet already in this small, simple birth story, we see some things that are just going to tip the world upside down. 
Kind of think about this. Shepherds are out in their fields. They're on a farm. And the glory of the Lord surrounds the host of angels. The glory of the Lord appears not in the Holy of Holies, not in the temple, not even in Jerusalem, but in a farm. Not to the priests and the outwardly religious, outwardly religious and acceptable looking people, but to the lowly, to the unclean, the shepherds outside of the temple and the glory of the Lord comes in. Who saw that coming? You're at the home alone, Macaulay Culkin like that. It's a surprise, and yet it's great news because here already we're starting to see glimpses that this kingdom is going to look different. There's going to be a new way of being religious, and it's not going to be based on external appearances. And see, it's going to become about the heart of the person, the humble, the person who knows their need for a savior. Glimpses here already in the story. I mean, how about in that? The lowly, poor shepherds are the ones that are given news of the birth. There's no word that, that Caesar, as great as he was and the status that he had, ever got the announcement. All of a sudden, we start to see the fulfillment of the prayer that Mary, the worship song that she prayed, that the, the poor and the lowly will be exalted, and the rich and the prideful made low. And here we see that already in the birth, we start to see the fulfillment of what God had promised, this making right of the world and the changing of values. We see it again here. We've just had some births in the church. It's been wonderful things, and typically they're, they're, they're family experiences. And in the birth, you get you know, very close friends and family get invited around. We come together, and we've seen that in the start of Luke's gospel with, uh, with John the Baptist when he was born. It's a family affair. And yet here, all of a sudden, these outsider shepherds are now getting an invitation to see the newborn baby. Already the outsiders are being invited in. And there's a redefinition of family is starting to take place even here in the birth. The whole way that we, we look at relationships and family is changing. And Jesus would go on in Luke's gospel. There's the county. He says, well, who are my mother and my brothers? He says, those who hear my words and obey them. People of faith, a family. Maybe Christmas has been a, a tough time for some of you. It's often a time coming together with families. Maybe it, um, it means there's broken relationships there. Maybe there's loneliness, in fact, that you didn't have a family to go with. Maybe it's a reminder of loss of loved ones. And this whole sense of family and displacement, uh, loneliness. And yet here, there is comfort and there's joy because in Christ, we've been adopted as children in God's family. It's not about who your dad is. It's not about the status of your birth. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're invited in we're invited to worship and experience a whole new way of being family. What a great comfort and what a great joy. And what a great opportunity for us to witness in our culture to the lonely, to the marginalized, and to say, welcome, brother, sister. Come into the family. Come and eat at the table of the Lord with me. 
family dynamics are being redefined already. We also see there's a heavenly host. It's a military word, an army coming and declaring peace. Great juxtaposition of these images of this army arriving and declaring peace. We see that the kingdom is going to operate differently than armies of the time. But the thing I want us to really look at and grasp this morning, what is the reaction to these two announcements? When we take a look, it's glorifying God. It's rejoicing together, not just on a localized level, but this is an event that's just of a cosmic scale. Look at the the announcement of the birth of Jesus is made, and all of a sudden, a host of angels, they come, and they start glorifying God and singing and praising and rejoicing in this wonderful news. It's an incredibly joyful event up in the heavens. And yet the shepherds as well, when they hear this news and in faith, they go and they check it out and see that what the Lord has said to them has come true. They also glorify God. And so we see glory in the heaven and we see glory on earth. Talk about widening the lens back from just all the world. This is widening it to the cosmic scale, saying, look at the ramifications of this birth. Glory to God. Rejoice. And it's finally where we also see the real tipping upside down of the world's values. When we take a look at it, what are the things that give us the most joy? There's a lot of things to be thankful for and to celebrate. That we could ask and say, if you could have one thing this year, what would it be that would give you the most joy? In the story in Luke's gospel, the arrival of the birth of Christ shows us that the greatest joy in the world is the reconciliation between God and sinners. The greatest joy in the world is when a sinner recognizes their need and recognizes their great Savior. Luke brings it out with the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the son that's not reconciled with his father, and the father's embrace and welcoming home and celebration and the great joy when one person is reconciled with God, recognizing their Savior. That's the greatest joy. Great fear to great joy. Reconciliation. We have a Savior. Of course, this is the surprising part that happens. It's this great king of peace, this great sovereign ruler, the Lord's chosen one, appointed one, who doesn't bring his kingdom, his victory, his salvation, violence towards his enemies. The most shocking thing is that he brings peace and salvation through taking the sin and violence of the world upon himself. And on the cross, he takes the worst of what the world can do. But there's another announcement on the third day where another group of angels come And they announce a third announcement to a group of women and they say, He is risen. He is not dead. And we see the announcement that the greatest enemies of sin 
and death have been defeated. And we see again a group of people at the end of Luke's Gospel. They encounter the risen Lord and they go with great joy, rejoicing. God has provided a Savior. He has been true to His Word, true to His promises. Sin and death have been defeated. And how do we respond? With comfort, with joy, with a lot of surprise. And I suggest there's just one more announcement that would then need to be made. The shepherds, at the end, they go on their way and they celebrate all they've seen. They tell of what's been told to them. And at the end of Luke's Gospel, Jesus says to go and preach the repentance of sins. Proclaim the good news to all the world and in the book of Acts we see that happening. And so as the recipients of this comfort and joy, the last announcement to be made is is ours. As we approach this year and we think before us, the cause of the greatest joy, sin is reconciled to God. We have the opportunity to go back into our workplaces regardless of the ungodly leadership, back into our communities regardless of chaos, back as global citizens regardless of who wins the presidential election next year. And we declare that God's true Savior is on the throne, that He has rescued us, that He is ruling, He is making things new. And we declare the good news to others. And we pray, Lord Jesus, as you've reached out and made yourself known to us, reveal yourself to others in surprising places, unexpected places, ways that would continue to surprise and bring comfort and joy. Amen.